turn to Ephesians chapter 3. That's where we're going to be this morning. Ephesians chapter 3, and then we'll also be in Hebrews chapter 10. Ephesians chapter 3 and Hebrews 10. Once you find Ephesians 3, that's where we will read. And then once you find it, go ahead and stand, and we'll read the scripture together this morning. The last few, I guess maybe four or five Sunday mornings, um, except for last week, I was gone last week, but we've been discussing uh, the importance of the local church, the importance of church in your life, and, and the many benefits that we receive by being part of a local church. Um, but it's not just about the benefits. And today I want to look at a few of the reasons. Now, this has been a very practical, I think, look um, at why church matters. Um, but today will be a little bit more, um, the thought will be a little bit more intangible, a little bit of a bigger picture focus, and yet the application is still practical. Um, because I, w- I just want to present this thought. When you join a church, you are committing to something that matters in eternity. You are committing to something that matters in eternity. And I want to look at that today. I hope you'll see that as we read Ephesians chapter 3. Um, how that that makes a difference here. Paul gives us a glimpse in the importance of the church. Look at verse 1, Ephesians chapter 3. Actually, I was reading context. Let's go back to verse 19 of chapter 2. Let's just read the whole book of Ephesians. How about that? No, Ephesians 2, 19. It says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Now, the, the church at Ephesus is made up of Gentiles. They're They're not the Jews, they're not God's original chosen people, but Jesus Christ had made it possible for them to come in and be part of the family. And it's incredible. You say, well, what's the big deal? Well, you're a Gentile, most likely, most of us in here, we are Gentiles as well. You're part of the family because Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. That makes a difference. I'm glad, I'm thankful for it. We're no more strangers or foreigners, we're fellow citizens and of the household of God, it says verse 20, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto an holy temple in the Lord in whom ye ye also are builded together for the habitation of God through the Spirit. For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, For you Gentiles, he's in prison under house arrest while he writes these letters. And he's in prison because he had been preaching the gospel to the Gentiles. Look at verse 2. It says, if ye have heard of the dispensation, that word simply means the strategy. The implemented strategy, which is God's plan for the church. The dispensation, he says, if ye have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God... ...which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation, meaning that God revealed this to me... ...this is not me making it up, I didn't have a dream after eating pizza too late one night... ...no, God revealed these things to me um, in verse four, 3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery... ...as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when ye read, ye may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ... And verse 5 it says, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body, we've talked about the body in this series, and partakers of his promise 
in Christ by the gospel, whereof I was made a minister according to the gift of grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So you say, what in the world does all that mean? Well, he talks about a mystery and the mystery that had been hidden since the beginning of time is again that Gentiles would be brought into a church and unified with Jews in the same body. And if you, and, and you think, well, what's the big mystery or what's the big deal about that? If you understood the, the perspective that Jews had on Gentiles and that Gentiles had toward the Jews, you would think this is a miraculous mystery. It's incredible to think that God could bring people from opposite ends of life and perspective into one body. And look at verse 8. Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given. That I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God. Who created all things by Jesus Christ. He says to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. What's fellowship? Fellowship is interaction. It's relationship. It's sharing life together. He says there's fellowship between Gentiles and Jews. It's an incredible mystery. Nobody would have ever predicted this. But now in your city, you are together in one body with Jews and Gentiles. And the world is thinking, what is happening? How is this possible? How could it be possible that people so opposite can come together and have a bond, fellowship in Christ? Verse 10, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places. He's talking about angels. Might be, made, might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. According to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. What's interesting is that God uses the fellowship of a church to send a message to the angels. The world looks at us and says, I can't believe that could happen. What a mystery. Even the angels look at a church and say, I can't imagine that this could happen. What a mystery. Folks, God uses the relationship of those in a church to teach the universe a lesson. He uses our interactions, our fellowship, the bond that we share in Christ, that we come together and unified around. He uses it to reveal a mystery to the world and to teach the angels a lesson. That's what it's saying. You say, well, that just sounds strange. Hey, this is the inspired word of God. I mean, this is, this is God through the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, writing these words. They're preserved for us. This is something that we needed to hear that God wanted us to see that a church is more than a social club. A church allows God to teach lessons to the universe. And if I can be a part of something that significant, sign me up. If I get to be a part of something that matters that much, listen, if you ever wanted to be a part of something that matters, start with a commitment to a local church. Because it's not just about what you get. And it's not just about filling your time. And it's not just about having something to do on Sundays. No, you are revealing the mystery of the gospel to the world. 
and you are allowing God's, God's manifold wisdom to be revealed to principalities and powers in heaven. Boy, you talk about big stuff. We get to be a part of that process. Today, the thought is this, significant value deserves significant commitment. Significant value deserves significant commitment. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would use this time in an effective and beneficial way. I pray that you'd help me to convey the truths. We do pray that you would bless the reading of your word and help us to see the importance of why we have gathered together in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Um, I don't know how many of you live on the east side of Sioux Falls, but uh, on Tuesday night, uh, we had invited, we invited the interns, Dakota and, and uh, Sammy, our summer interns, um, that we invited them over for the evening because uh, their, you know, summer's about to be over and uh, we wanted to be able to spend a little bit of time with them. So we had them over and we were hanging out. Of course, we all know this last week was, was exceptionally hot for, for Sioux Falls and uh, Tuesday night was no different. It was hot. We were sitting there just hanging out. And suddenly all the lights went off. The power went off. Uh, we had enchiladas. Or uh, Sammy would say enchiladas. Or however he says it. <laughs> you know. We had those in the oven. And, and uh, we are trying to get those cooked. And, and of course I don't know that you needed an oven on Tuesday. Just set them out on the hood of the, of the Suburban. Probably been okay. We were just, we were, so the power went off and, and now we're sitting in, in the, kind of the dark and it's one of the hottest days of the year and the heat is, start, you're starting to feel the heat inside. I think it was out for about three hours total and, uh, and so I started then checking uh, my, our account, you know, to say, hey, did we pay our bill? Want to make sure it's not just us, you know, that you start to check those things and made sure we were paid up and then. We were. We found out there was an outage. By the end of it, though, I was, I was so hot, I was begging God for the rapture. And I was thinking, you know what? If, if the rapture came, Sammy and Dakota, they can just have the house. So, you know, it's one thing to lose power in the summer. But then it got me thinking, I'm, I'm glad this isn't the middle of the winter. You know, in one of our cold South Dakota winters and one of our, you know, minus... Uh, 20 or 30 degree days and you know if you lose power in the winter and you lose power for too long it gets downright dangerous yeah. you know and something as important as heat can be a life or death situation and honestly that's why we commit to paying our bills because it's not just about comfort it's it can be about survival it can be about um, danger or safety a, a heater has value in a place like South Dakota therefore it requires commitment you know, we don't have trouble uh, being committed to those kinds of things. Your car has value. For some of you, it's one of your largest life investments. So if you're wise, you commit to oil changes. If you don't, then you could ruin your motor, you could ruin your car, and all that value that you had is suddenly uh, out the window. Uh, surviving has value, so you commit to work. You know, if you don't work, you don't eat, so you commit to the things that are most valuable. Your health has value. You commit to take care of yourself. I was thinking, we have babies in here this morning, and we, we saw Stephen and Lizette at Chick-fil-A on Thursday night. They're starting her off right in the Lord's secondary house of chicken over at Chick-fil-A. 
you know, and, and they had her over at Chick-fil-A. I tried to give her a spicy chicken sandwich. She didn't, I don't know why they didn't want her to have it, but you know. So we saw her over there and I was just looking at her and she's just adorable. And, and I mean, I, and you know, we've got uh, Jesse and Leah's baby and it's great to have Leah's family here. I mean, we've got these little babies and there's, there's such value in those lives. By the way, I don't care what the world says, a baby's life has value inside or outside the womb. And so the value of a baby determines your level of commitment. I mean, it's, it's inconvenient uh, to, to have to get up in the middle of the night. It's inconvenient to take care of all of their needs. And they don't do a lot for themselves. But because there's value, you say, I'm committed to that. If it provides value, I'm committed because it's important. And one area, though, that we've lost sight of the value-commitment connection is at church. And I believe that many see themselves as Christians, but at the same time, they see the church as unrelated to their Christian faith. Which means the, the one institution that God placed on earth for our growth and for our help and for encouragement and, and for the propagation of the gospel, all of these things, um, it, it seems like it has taken a back seat and people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm a Christian and the church doesn't have a lot to do with my relationship with Christ. Um, but I would submit to you that that is, a, uh, that is a misunderstanding of the importance of the church to your Christian life. I mean, the, the New Testament is all about the local church. Paul talked about the dispensation right here. It is God's plan through the local church to bring all those in Christ together in a, in a church body, a local church body. We see the purpose of the church in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians begins with a beautiful picture of salvation. I just want to look at a couple of verses. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4 and 5. This, is the, this, this describes how we're saved. And it says, but God... Who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are, you, are ye saved. Um, because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, he has made us alive through Jesus Christ. He, he, Jesus Christ came to die on the cross for our sins. And, and, in, and like we heard today, um, the justice has been satisfied. In other words, that, that our sin demanded consequences and we were the ones who deserved to pay them. But Jesus took the consequences. He took our sins on himself. So God's wrath was poured out on Jesus. But justice has been satisfied because Jesus Christ paid for your sins and mine. That's how we're saved. We're made alive in Jesus Christ. And, and that theology is that we were dead in sin... And Christ has made us alive through his death on the cross. And it's a great truth, but every great theology also has application. See, the gospel tore down the dividing wall of hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. It wasn't just that Jesus Christ was dying for the Jews. He was dying for the sins of the whole world. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. For he is our peace, who hath made both one... And hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinances, for to make in himself of twain one new man, so making peace. See, it reminds me, so basically Jesus Christ came and he tore down the wall 
that separated the Jews and the Gentiles. And he makes it possible for anybody who will place their faith in Jesus to be brought into Christ. What an incredible truth. It reminds me of President Reagan's words. Uh, when I was a kid, I remember these words on the news. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down the wall. You know, and it reminds me he was, he was imploring the communist regimes to take down the Berlin Wall and bring back those families that had been separated from each other for, for decades to bring them back together. Tear down the wall, he said. But listen, something bigger happened when Jesus Christ tore down the wall that was separating the Jew and the Gentile. And this resulting unity of the cross is so mind-blowing that Paul calls it a mystery. He said, this is an incredible mystery. It's not something anybody could have predicted. And it means it was hidden for generations. But now it's been made known, verse 6 of chapter 3, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Christ's death brought the Gentiles into Christ with those Jews that were saved in Christ. And it's unfathomable that Jews and Gentiles could be unified. So uh, why would God then bring these together who have no commonality except for Jesus Christ? What could be the purpose of that? Well, look down in verse 10. To the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be, made, might be known by the church in the, the manifold wisdom of God. Through the church, he says. So here's the thing, God intends to do amazing things through the church by bringing people together that no one would have ever expected to coexist together, much less work together. God's plan to glorify himself centers on the interactions of those members of a local church. And you say, well, you know, I don't know uh, you know, is this talking about everybody? I believe the application is to a local church. He's talking to a local church. And then you tell me how a Jew and a Gentile can sit in a pew next to each other if one of them lives here and another one lives in Saudi Arabia. No, the application is the local church. That it is, it is the relationships of the people that come together from all walks of life from all backgrounds, from every personality, I mean, every ethnicity, they come together and it makes people scratch their heads, but they're coming together and they are unified in Jesus Christ. And it sends a message, not only does it, verse 9 it says, to make all men see, so it sends a message to people around, but not only that, it sends a message to the angels in heavenly places. Your interactions are not only seen by God. Your interactions, our interactions with each other are witnessed by principalities and powers in heavenly places. You say, well, church is just something I do Sundays. No, it's not. It's much bigger than that. It means much more than that. It's more significant than that. Listen, of all the things a church does, it is primarily a picture of the gospel. It is a reminder that the miracle of the gospel brings sinners together through Christ. There's no way as pe that people as different as those in the church should be able to dwell in unity. 
There's no way that this person and this person, they have nothing in common. They're, they come from totally different places and they have totally different mindsets, totally different perspectives. But God can bring them together and have them interact in a functional way. That's a miracle. Think back to what Jesus said in John 13. Where to start? He says, a new commandment I give unto you. We remember our, our theme verse here, John 13, 34 and 35. He says, here's the new commandment I give to you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. You know, how, the reason that Jesus had to give that commandment is because he knew it's not always easy to love. He knew it's not always easy to interact with each other um, and, and, and have a sense of community with each other. Let's just be honest, church can be messy sometimes. People can be frustrating. I can be frustrating. You can be frustrating. Well, we're, we're all annoying on some level. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor, for the encouraging message today. Uh, we're all weird on some level, aren't we? I mean, that's just it. It's not easy to love people different than you, but that's the point. As Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Everybody loves those that love you. No, but if you can love people that are nothing like you, that's a mystery. That's when it's a miracle. See, Christ enables love in a setting that no one could have predicted. Christians who love each other present, listen, a revolutionary concept to the world and to the angels. See, nobody understood or could have predicted that, that level of commit from, from, commitment from people that have nothing in common, really. But that's the miracle, is that God intends to reveal his miraculous ability through a local church relationship. I mean, let me say that again. God intends to reveal his miraculous ability through local church relationships, through our interactions. And that is why, if you consider yourself a Christian, you need not just to be a member of a church, you must be a meaningful member of a local church. When you realize that our interactions with each other point the world to Jesus and point the angels to God's wisdom, it's something that matters that much deserves my best commitment. S significant value should produce significant commitment how to be significantly committed to your church then let's look at Hebrews 10 so we're going to go to Hebrews 10 and this is where our application comes and you say well we were in Hebrews 10 last time well number one that was two weeks ago I don't pretend that everybody remembers what I preached even last week okay second there was so much here that I had extra notes and I thought man I want to come back and visit this if I can and today worked out so Here's how you are significantly committed to your church. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for he is faithful that promised. And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. Here's how you can be significantly committed to your local church the first thing that I see in verse 24 is that we love one another that we love one another he says let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works 
Last time we looked at these verses, we, we, said, we looked at how uh, the writer says that you should consider one another, you provoke one another, you assemble with one another, you exhort one another. Those are all fantastic expressions of how church life is supposed to operate, how we are supposed to operate as members. But if you think about it, every one of those are simply expressions of love. When you love somebody like you're supposed to, you will consider them. When you love somebody, you will encourage them. When you love somebody, you will, you will want to be with them. You'll want to assemble with them. When you love somebody, you're willing to provoke them, to challenge them, to keep them accountable. And Peter said, love the brotherhood. We're commanded to love one another. Um, this is our theme. We're commanded to love those that God has placed us with. And it's not just about fuzzy feelings. Don't let the world's definition of love convince you of something love is not. Love is not temporary. Love is not a look. Love is not lust. Love is not sleeping in the same bed for a night. No, love is so much more than the world's definition of love. It's not fuzzy feelings. No, the idea is that we express love that has staying power. Love that has staying power. You say, well, where do you get that? Well, 1 Corinthians 13 is the love chapter or the charity chapter. And it says, charity never faileth. Meaning that true, genuine love is not temporary. Love doesn't have a shelf life. Love never faileth. Love will always be in existence. Love is that which we should always be motivated by. We're to love the Lord our God with all our, our heart and soul and mind, Matthew 22 says. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves. And it says right after that, love, genuine Bible love has staying power. It, it's not one of those things that, that, that you love for a little bit and then it's gone. No, the choice to love is permanent. In Ephesians 5, Paul presented a parallel uh, between marriage and, and church family. We looked at that our first lesson or first message in this series. And it gives you the idea of the kind of commitment we're to have to our local church. Because the kind of commitment we, we should have is the kind of commitment that happens in a marriage. And if you look at uh, the, the love of a husband and wife, the wife doesn't cut ties and run away the first time it gets hard. The husband doesn't just leave the first time things get inconvenient. I mean, that's not marriage. That's gamophobia, the fear of commitment, remember? Now I'm just throwing out words because I, I was losing a few, a few of you. I just wanted you to know I've got a couple big words up here. Gamophobia, the fear of commitment. Gamos comes from the word that we, from which we get marriage. And, and marriage is commitment. The two are synonymous. And so the parallel is, if that's the way it works in marriage, that's the way it worked from Jesus Christ to us, that's the way it ought to work in a church. You don't just cut ties and run the first time it gets hard. A local church is like a marriage. It is that, that kind of commitment. You don't just leave the first time that you don't like something or it does, it's not easy anymore. No, there will be inconveniences. There will be things you don't like. There will be people that grate on your nerves. That's life. But if you are as committed as Jesus Christ was to the church, you won't cut ties and run at the first sign of trouble. Amen. New Testament love is deep commitment. And every member is called to it. You say, well, you know, I haven't been saved very long. I'm a new Christian. No, you have a commitment 
to a local church just like somebody who's been saved for 40 years. This is part of our commitment and part of our commitment to growth, part of our commitment to each other. We are to love one another. How else are you going to be committed? Well, love one another and also encourage one another. Verse 24, he says, let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another. Listen, I don't think we realize how vital encouragement is to our daily lives. Uh, this isn't talking about, though, just being an optimist. Like, um, it's not just talking about wearing a smile, just having a happy disposition at all times. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing. Smile, it's okay. Please, right now. Okay, thank you. I needed that, okay? Hebrews is clear. We don't just come to church for ourselves. God's call for, to encourage is a big part of his plan for your life. And you say, well, that's true. I need to come and I need to be encouraged. That's not what I'm talking about. He doesn't say go to church to be encouraged. No, he says you go to provoke. You go to exhort. You go to encourage. God has called you. You say, I don't have a lot that I can do. I don't have any ministries. I don't have responsibilities. If you're part of a local church, your ministry, your calling is to encourage somebody. To show up and provoke and exhort and consider and assemble. Listen, you can't encourage if you're not assembled. No, you come and you encourage. You come and you help. You come and you look for a way that you can be a blessing. And listen, I know that sometimes we do get pretty self-occupied. And we, we think, well, you know, I come to church for my growth. I come to church because I want to be holy. I come to church because I want to make a difference. And those are great, but God has bigger plans than that. It's not just about you. And there are benefits in a local church. You get family, you get fellowship, you get encouragement. But maybe more than that, God is concerned that you give of yourself to build up others in your local church. And maybe by pouring your life into someone else in a committed way, those who are weaker in the faith, as we just read, will be strengthened. And it could be that God, listen, God has you in a place so that you could go and encourage somebody who needs it. And if you're not in your place... Who's going to encourage them? It's not just about what you get. Church membership is about what you give. So you love one another. Here's how you're committed. Love, encourage one another, and guard one another. Love one another, encourage one another, guard one another. I tried to be, I was going to be real cheesy and say, if you want to leg up in church commitment, love, encourage, and guard. But that's cheesy, so we're not going to do it. Guard one another. Look at verse 23. Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering. See, one of the ways a family commits is to protect each other. And our default is to waver. We looked at this a couple weeks ago. To lean, to not last. And the, po the opposing voices, remember? The opposing voices in our lives are always pulling us one way. We've got to have the right voices to counter those negative voices. But listen, last time we talked about how you're the person in the middle and the, uh, the wrong voices are pulling you here and you must have right voices in your life pulling you this way if you're going to counter the wrong voices. But I want you to consider that it may not be you right here in the middle, it may be you, you over here on this side pulling somebody else. 
Sometimes we always put ourselves in the middle, like I'm the one that has a need. But it could be that somebody else has the need, and you are the one that God has in their life to help guard them from the dangers that they're facing. I mean, look over at Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Just a couple pages over, it says in, in verse 15 and 16. I want to look at more of this responsibility. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12, let's begin reading in verse 14. It says, follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God. So he has just said, you should be looking for ways to follow peace with all men. And one of the ways that, that you help each other is that you look diligently toward others lest any of them are at risk or at da in danger. He says, looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And the idea of those verses is that you must look diligently to be on the lookout when you see others that might be at risk. You're looking diligently to make sure there's not something there that needs to be dealt with. And it's not just to protect yourself, it's to protect somebody else. My, my son and I, Jace, we went to, uh, we were in Rapid City. Um, I was going to say we went to the ladies retreat, but that sounds weird. We did. I drove the ladies to ladies retreat and I had my son with me and, and we went to um, Reptile Gardens. Anybody ever been to Reptile Gardens over in Rapid City? Okay. It's a really, it's a neat place and they've got, and that's a place Jace really enjoyed and, uh, and I did too, but it's, you know, it's kind of funny. It's Reptile Gardens, but our favorite place at Reptile Gardens was the prairie dog thing. It's like, why do you have prairie dogs? This seems like a really bad combination, okay? But they have this little prairie dog habitat and you kind of lean over the wall and, you know, look at them. And, and they're kind of, they're just really funny to watch. And, and, uh, and so I would, I got to the point, like, they're just standing there having their own, I don't know what they're doing or thinking, you know, just watching them run around. But I would do this real, I would stick my hand down in, inside the wall and one of them would go, like bark. I'm, I mean, I really wanted it to be a bit cooler than that, but it was better in my head. Like, Ruff. Is that better? That's literally, they bark. That's why they're called prairie dogs. Like that. That was better. <laughs> My wife's like, no, it wasn't. You're not cool. <laughs> and as soon as one of them would, Bob, settle down. As soon as one of them would bark, all the others would run into their holes. So they would all come out, you know, and kind of get, get some courage again. And I would do the same thing. I'd stick my arm down there, and they would all run back into their holes. I, I'm, I'm a kid at heart because I did it like 10 times. <laughs> over and over. And, and we were laughing. It was just really funny to watch them. And, and, I, and I know that's silly, but I, I just want you to picture. I want you to see the picture of how a local church ought to operate. Is that... When we sense danger, not just in our, it's not just about you. No, we're to be looking diligently on the lookout for each other. And when you see danger in somebody else's life, don't really, don't really, but that's the warning sign. 
that, that you don't just say, well, you know, that guy's not anywhere near me, so I'm just going to be over in my corner over here, and I'm just going to live my life. No, you see the danger in somebody else's life, and you love them enough to step in and say, no, there's something I see here. And not that you're superior, not that you're spiritual and they're not. We, none of us are perfect. But when you love somebody enough to step into their lives, that's what happens in a local church. That's the commitment of a local church. I mean, if I, it, it, see, sometimes we think, well, tolerance is the highest virtue. And I've preached this before. But really, tolerance is allowing somebody to stay in danger by saying, well, you know, I love them where they are. Well, if you see them in danger, if you love them, no, you're going to step in and say, watch out. I mean, if I'm riding with you in the car and you're changing lanes and there's a semi in the next lane, I'm not going to be like, well, I just love you where you are. No, I'm going to be like, Watch out. There's a car. There's a semi. And if you take that turn, you risk your life and mine. See, love means that we step in when we see somebody in danger. We're looking diligently. But here's the thing. We're so self-occupied. And on Sundays, we walk in and I'm like, well, I really need something today. But there's somebody next to you who needs somebody to speak truth into their life because they're at risk. But if we're all self-occupied and preoccupied with our own problems and we never look to our neighbor, who's going to warn them that they're in danger? We're here to guard each other. That's what a family does. That's what a church is supposed to do. This is how you are committed to your local church, that you're aware enough of people's lives, that you don't walk in and just make it all about you. And yet that is kind of the modern church movement these days. You come in and it's all about what you can get and it's all about how you feel and it's all about what you can get as a consumer. No, that's not, that's not the life of a local church. A committed member is aware enough of the people around them that they step in and speak truth to their lives when they see them at risk because part of a commitment in a local church is that we guard each other. We love each other enough to encourage and guard. This is the definition of committed church membership. You love, you encourage, you guard. And to be committed to a community of believers, we must love enough to encourage and guard. And sometimes we think membership is a card that gets you in. And it gets you perks. You know, that may be how it works at Costco, but that's not what a local church is about. See, it's why, that's why we make such a big deal about meaningful membership. Because next to salvation, church commitment is the most basic calling in your spiritual life. It is foundational. Your spiritual well-being depends on it. Somebody else's spiritual well-being may depend on it. And listen, the world is depending on our interactions as a local church to be convinced that there's something bigger going on here. Something that significant deserves significant commitment. So where do you start? Well, how about invest some skin in the game? If you decide to join and you show up every week in, in, for the service, but you never invest in relationships beyond that, then you've not obeyed these commands. If you're invested, then you'll raise your likelihood of being committed. So I'm asking, when's the last time you volunteered for something? 
When's the last time that you took responsibility for something? You gave towards something. And you must invest in meaningful relationships. And it's not just in what you do, but it's in how deeply you know people. See, invested members ensure that at least a few people know their lives inside and out. We must be open with each other. We need to let each other into our lives. Sometimes that means you're vulnerable. And it always means that you're human. Let people into your life. Share your life. And not just your life. Ask them questions. You know, how are things really going for you? How's your walk with the Lord? How can I pray for you? See, that kind of transparent relationship, that's how you invest in meaningful membership. You see, churches are built on deep commitment, not surface-level relationships. And if you want to be a meaningful member, go beyond the service and invest yourself in people's lives. Not just that, invest in those outside your circle. And I've heard this recently, the church has cliques. You know, we're all guilty of that. We could all do better at that. But what we need is a mindset is first... No, this is so significant that even if there are cliques here, that's not going to deter me from being involved in something that matters. I'm not going to let that be the reason that I don't stick around. Because every, every institution, if, it's involves, if it involves people, there are, going to be, there are going to be flaws. But second, say, you know, I'm going to commit to change that. And maybe everybody else is in one click and it's just me that's not. So I'm going to go find somebody that's outside of my comfort zone and I'm going to let them know that I accept them for where they, who they are. Listen, that's what Ephesians is all about. It's Jews and Gentiles. It's opposite. And Christ brings them together in this unifying effect from all walks of life. And it's a mystery that when Jews and Gentiles come together with nothing in common but Jesus Christ, people are left scratching their heads and only God can get the credit for that. See, our congregation is made up of people from all walks of life, from every generation. And we've got people born on this continent, people born on other continents. People whose, whose first and only language is English and people whose English is a second language. We've got people from, from, uh, from Mexico and we've got people from Europe. We've got people from Asia. We've got people from all over the place. And, and we've got people that, that come from maybe just in South Dakota, but even in South Dakota. We've got some that are highly educated and some that aren't highly educated. We've got some um, that grew up here and some that came from one of the coasts. We've got people from all walks of life, all colors, all ethnicities. And if we're not careful, then we will become the kind of church that says, this, this is who I'm like, so these are who I'll surround myself with. And as we do that, listen, if we do that, we frustrate the point of the church, which is to bring people that are opposites together and make people say, wow, that's a mystery. That's a miracle. And so if you want to help to help our church to overcome maybe some of the things that we might lean toward doing, then step outside of your circle and become friends with somebody that nobody would have ever predicted you'd be friends with. You say, but that's not my comfort zone. That's the point. Is that we step outside of ourselves. And before you think this is radical and this is extreme, I just want you to consider this. That's what Jesus did for you. You Sometimes we think, well, you know, the Asian culture and, and let's say the Hispanic culture, 
They're just too far apart. I don't see how that could happen and come together. Well, tell me, how much further apart are they than a holy God and sinners like us? See, the difference between God and sinners is so great you can't even wrap your mind around it. It sure does make somebody from one continent and another continent coming together seem like really not that big of a deal because that's what Jesus did for me. You say, well, you know, I'm from this generation and I'm from, you know, we're from the old school generation and these young kids coming along or, you know, you young folks, you say, well, the older generation, I just don't see how we can come together. Well, but Jesus Christ is holy and he brought you in as a sinner. So who are you to say there's a limitation on the people you can be close with? No, the church is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of what Jesus Christ did for sinners. We're naturally going to gravitate toward those most like us. But if you want to bring glory to God, then decide you're going to lock arms with somebody in our church that nobody would have ever expected. It's no mystery when people of the same color and background hang out, but it is a miracle and a mystery when the opposite happens. And you know the one place it should happen? Eastside Baptist Church. You know, I see, I see riots and these things in the streets, you know, these protests and and people, if you're protesting against a certain thing, I mean, I'm thinking about abortion. You know, people come out for abortion rights and all these things. And it's like when you come out, if you're holding the right sign, they don't care what you look like. They're going to lock arms with you. And, and, and I'd, I think, well, you know, it's crazy that people from those walks of life can all come together over a cause that is meaningless. But how sad that God's people at times can't come together for a cause that is eternally significant. Especially when you consider that the point of a local church interaction is to let the world see the gospel and make the angels in heaven scratch their heads. Listen, this is important. This is significant. And you have a role to play in letting others see the power of the gospel. Before you say it's extreme, just remember God did far greater for you and I when he left heaven and went to a cross for us. You know, uh, this maybe it's time to commit. Not because of me. I mean, it has nothing to do with me. It has nothing to do with our finances. It has nothing to do with, you know, well, we really need somebody to work in this area. No, it's not about that. No, commit before a bigger reason. Commit because you say, I can help the gospel be proclaimed to the world. Because I can have a part in something that people look at and say, only God could do that. So not for me, and really not even just for your benefit, although there is a benefit for you. But maybe you should say, no, I want, to ben- I want to commit to something today for God's benefit, for God's glory. To let the world know that the gospel's miraculous and it's a mystery and only God could bring people like all of us together into one place, Amen. moving in the same direction. So maybe to make today you say, well, I, I do need to make a commitment. Do you realize, though, you can't commit to church unless you've submitted to the gospel? 
So, yeah, we present the gospel as a church, but you must come to the end of yourself as a sinner. Say, I know that I'm a sinner, and I know that my sin causes me to be separated from God, and if I don't do something about this, then I'll be required to pay for my own sin with my own death. But Jesus already paid for your sin, so why would you do that? Trust his payment for your sins this morning. You can be saved this morning. You can come down, you have somebody take you through the Bible and show you, hey, listen, you're a sinner. God knows that you're a sinner. You are guilty before God, but Jesus died on the cross for your sins so that you could have eternity in heaven. You cannot commit to a church until you submit to the gospel. But maybe this morning you've submitted to the gospel. You know that you're saved, but you've kind of been a peripheral member. You've been a little bit uncommitted. Well, today's the day to say, no, not for the pastor, not for the, not for the, the, the staff, not for my friends. No, I'm going to commit because the cause is great. Because the world can see the gospel through the unified church. And those in heavenly places can say, only God can do that. That's a big deal. So maybe your commitment should be to outreach. I mean, we've been talking about bringing people together from all walks of life. Well, when's the last time you brought somebody to, into this place and gave them a picture of the gospel? When's the last time that you presented the gospel to somebody outside these walls? It could be that the reason that we don't have more of the gospel being presented to the world is because we haven't been sharing the gospel. You know that God wants every person of every race, of every tribe, of every tongue... He wants us all to come together in Jesus Christ. And I don't know if you've been around Sioux Falls. We've got a lot of diversity in this city. But it would do nothing more than bring absolute joy to God's heart if people from all over the globe gathered at Eastside Baptist Church on Sunday mornings. It's already happening a little bit. I'm just wondering, why can't it happen more? I mean, this is what the gospel is all about. Are you doing your part? Listen, Things of significant value deserve significant commitment. And if you value this church, then it's time to be more committed to it. Would you consider that this morning? Let's stand together, every head bowed and every eye closed. Appreciate your patience today. There's a lot to work through in that text. And yet it's important. I'm just asking, have you been doing your part in revealing the gospel to the world? through your commitment to this local church. Would you consider saying, I need to be more committed, I need to take some steps? Maybe for you that commitment means I've just been a Sunday morning person. If I'm going to be committed to my church family, then I need to be here when my church family meets. We've got services Sunday and Wednesday nights. Maybe you've let that slip. Maybe there's an area of need you know about it, but you haven't been committed because it's a lot of responsibility. Well, why not commit? Not just because of the need, but because of the great cause of letting the world see the gospel through God unifying people in Christ. Maybe you're not saved this morning, and today is the day that you need to place your faith in Jesus Christ. Would you do it today? Don't leave wondering. Would you just take a step forward and and be willing to humble yourself before Jesus Christ? We'll take you through the Bible and let you see how you can know for sure that you're saved. Church member, 
uh, maybe you've lost sight of what church really means. It's kind of just become routine for you. And you have lost sight of the fact that it actually sends a message to the universe. I mean, it sends a message to the angels. It lets the world see the gospel. And maybe it's a renewed sense of commitment to something that matters a lot. However the Lord's speaking, would you be willing to respond this morning? Heavenly Father, I thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd help us to respond accordingly, Lord, in Jesus' name.